from the studios of One Jacks Productions. This is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with your hosts, Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Ingle, and Praise Leader Chris Wing. All right, well, uh, welcome back to the podcast, The Revealing. Uh, I'm Pastor Frank at One Baptist Church here in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm here with Pastor Robert Ingle. Uh, he's our associate pastor. Yeah, and then we have uh, Chris Wing, hey. our praise leader. Uh, we're here, and we're just uh, and we're just sitting here, just a bunch of guys talking about the Bible and uh, having a good time doing it, man. I hope you guys are enjoying what you're hearing. Um, you know, if you have any questions or anything like that, uh, please make sure you uh, you shoot us shoot us an email. You can find us at info at onebaptistjacks.world. Once again, that's info at onebaptistjacks.world. Uh, we would love to hear your questions, any comments, any thoughts, and uh, in a future podcast, we certainly will address them. Uh, so uh, let, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just jump right in. Uh, we've been talking about the 10 keys of Bible study. Uh, we've been talking about that key of David, uh, the importance of the key of David, and that key of David, of course, is the love of of the Word of God, uh, you know we we believe that uh, you can't really love God without loving His Word. Mm-hmm. He's magnified His Word above His very name. Uh, so certainly, uh, every word of God is pure. Every word of God is important. And uh, uh, because we're going to be judged by those words in the last day, we certainly want to make sure we know what He said and not what uh, others have said. And as we get into the Bible. Uh, you know, of course, uh, we need to allow, you know, I would only think that if God is going to judge us on his word, for him to be righteous, which he is, by the way, but for him to be righteous, uh, he, he has to judge us based on something that we can know and understand, or that would be an unfair judgment. And uh, so certainly the words of God and, 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 and the Bible is what he has given to us. And uh, we just need to make sure that we're not approaching it from our understanding or from uh, uh, our ability to rightly divide it, uh, but allowing God to uh, teach us how we need to approach his book based on the way he says we need to do it. Uh, So uh, we've been talking about these 10 keys of Bible study just to kind of rehash those first six real quick. Uh, The first one was establishing the theme of the author. Of course, uh, the the theme of the Bible is the day of the Lord, the day when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to sit on his throne. And uh, we just need to be careful that uh, uh, we keep him on the throne, that we don't put uh, Lucifer there uh, or we don't put ourselves there. Uh, number two, make the right divisions. Second uh, Timothy two fifteen tells us that we need to to study to show thyself approved unto God and rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, so we need to know who the book was written to and know uh, that there is uh, uh, different uh, people groups that uh, are involved in that. Um, keeping verses in their context. Number three. Know the audience that is written to, uh, whether it was the Jew, whether it was the, uh, the the church, or whether it was the Gentile. All of that matters, uh, and and we need to make sure that we know who that letter was written to, uh, so that we can apply the doctrinal truths to the proper people. Uh, number four, we talked about utilizing God's principle of comparing Scripture with Scripture. Uh, God is a master picture maker. Uh, he is uh, formulating a picture to teach his truths. And in that picture, uh, you need to be able to take scripture and uh, uh, compare it with other scripture to get his truths. God, the word of God is its own uh, lexicon. The word of God is its own dictionary. The word of God is its own interpreter. Uh, we don't need to go outside of the word of God to get any of those things. Uh, and God can certainly take care of that within his book. 
And he does. Uh, number five is recognizing the three layers of application. Uh, and what we're talking about there is, is that the, every scripture, uh, all, all of scripture has three layers of application. Uh, there's a historical context, which puts the, uh, uh, what took place as we read it in its proper historical context. These things really happened. Uh, they really took place. Uh, parables and allegories, of course, are, are uh, uh, used as well. Uh, in, an allegory is, is, is a picture of something showing something else that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's historical or that it really happened. Uh, and then, of course, a parable is a teaching of a hidden truth. That's what a parable is. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, God's very clear uh, in the Bible uh, when he's being uh, literal and when he's not. And uh, so we need to understand when to put things in his historical context. We need to understand when to put things in their devotional context. What does those things that happened um, mean for us and how can we learn from them? And then, of course, the one that we, 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 we stated last time that probably is the most important one uh, is that prophetical uh, slash doctrinal one. Uh, doctrine is the teachings. Uh, and, of course, uh, when we're looking at the doctrines of Jesus Christ, uh, we, are, we, we need to make sure that we are following his teachings and not man's teachings. Uh, so uh, certainly that's important. Uh, and then finally, we finished up with realizing the sixth one, uh, that the keys to the word of God is the words of God. Uh, and what we're, what, what we're saying there is the Bible does not simply claim to communicate God's thoughts, ideas, concepts, principles, or precepts, but rather is his very words. Every word is, is written and, and, and preserved for us on purpose. Uh, God wants us to make sure that uh, uh, we understand that he means what he said, and he said what he means. Uh, every word uh, has uh, its purpose, and if we would just submit to that, uh, we would be... Uh, better off for it. All right, so we're going to wrap up today. We're going to look at four, the final four. Number seven is going to be interpret scripture in light of God's consistency. Number eight is God teaches us by association. Uh, that's that whole picture thing we just talked about. And number nine, approach Bible believing with the idea that there is no contradictions, only apparent contradictions in the Bible. And then number 10, uh, we'll finish it up with the fact that if you're really going to understand your Bible, you need to make sure that you come from a literal standpoint unless otherwise stated. All right, guys, you ready? Let's do it. Let's it do just it. took six minutes to kind of get ourselves rolling here, but I think we're ready to go. Let's look at uh, uh, number seven, interpret scripture in light of God's consistency. Uh, here's the basic thought I think I would want to convey there is, is God does what God does, and God says what God says, because God is who God is. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't get any easier than that. God's not random in his thinking. God, 2,000 years ago, knew exactly what we were going to be dealing with today. We don't have to look at it and go, well, you know, things in the Bible just don't apply for today. Yes, they do. God knew he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's consistent. Nothing changes. He doesn't need to change. He changes not. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. So he, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, ever. Amen? Yeah, amen. I mean, he's immutable. He, he, he confirms himself from who, who he is through the word of God. He proves himself through the word of God. Uh, he never changes, and he's always been, he'll always be the same. Pretty hey, simple, man. right? That's it, yep. Uh, so, you know, Pastor Robert, what do you think? When, it, when we're talking about this interpret scripture in light of God's consistency, what, 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 what do you think of? 
yeah. So if if God ever changed, or if He could ever change, then there is absolutely nothing we could ever be sure of. Mm-hmm. Nothing we could be certain of. Mm-hmm. Nothing in His Word we could trust. Because how do we know that He He won't change His mind on any given matter at some point in the future? Um, and so, if, if God is consistent in His person, we can expect His Word to be just as consistent, because John chapter 1 and verse 1, mm. He is the Word. Amen. Amen. And so, because of that, He will never, ever, ever say anything or, or, or lead us to do anything that would be outside of the boundaries of His Word. Um you, you cannot tell me that um, God gave you permission to do something that his word uh, speaks against uh, because he does not contradict his word. Again, if if he did, he would be um, inconsistent. Um, it's the doctrine of immutability um, that he does not change. You just said it earlier, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Um, and that has to be one of his attributes in order for him to be God, is his immutability, his consistency. And again, because he is, so is his word. Yeah. Amen. Chris? Yeah, uh, it really is that simple. I mean, you know, Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father by, by me. If at some point he didn't, uh, keep to what it is that he had said, and his, he's not consistent. It, it, that would he would be a liar, and, and none of that would, would be true. I mean, that's a very strong statement that he made there in John fourteen six. And either it's true or it isn't. In order for that to be true, he's got to be consistent about everything that he's ever done, ever ever said. In order, for, he claims to be the truth, and that that's the thing about truth is that it's consistent, it it's exclusive, it's uh, absolute. And so, if he's going to make a statement like that, which he does that he is the truth, he has to be consistent in every single part of everything that he's ever said or done. Like Pastor Robert said, that is his attri- one of his attributes. That has to be true in order for that statement to be true. And it's a very important statement. So, you know, it is, really is that important. That's why it's so important. Yeah, and I would say that, you know, we, we kind of started, uh, as we started looking at these uh, Keys of Bible Study, we, we, we opened up with the fact that, you know, the reason why it's important that we... Uh, uh, take the Bible uh, and, 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 and the, 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 these keys of Bible study so seriously is because in the last day when we get judged, it's going to be the very words of God that's going to judge us. And if he's not consistent with what he, it is that he told us, uh, he can't be the righteous judge. Uh, that's not fair, and God is not a uh, God, the beautiful thing. And one of the things that you will learn about the Bible if you just allow God to, to speak uh, if you haven't already learned this, is God is about as fair as you can get. He gave us the answers to the test before we even have to take it. Uh, man, uh, that's that's a beautiful thing. Uh, but you know, the unfortunate reality is we live in a day where we, most people don't know their Bibles very well, if at all, and so they certainly don't know the answers to the test. And, and I would even argue that most people don't even know that there's a test coming. And uh, you know, so as we look at this, uh, this, this this seventh key, uh, interpreting scripture in light of God's consistency, uh, you know what you find is that uh, God is very consistent. Uh, he certainly will never go against His word. Uh, it's probably the reason why, as He finishes up His revealing, 
of course, the book of Revelation, uh, when he, when he, when he finish, finishes up, he, he says uh, right there in verse uh, uh, number 18, Revelation 22, he says, I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man add unto these things, God shall add unto the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Uh, and here's the thing, uh, right? When God uh, finished, God finished his book in 95 AD. Yeah. The, 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 and when I say God finished his book, the 66 books were complete. Mm-hmm. God revealed all that he needed to reveal to man. We entered into uh, the church age at that time, uh, and God already had revealed what was going to happen in the tribulation period, and he already revealed uh, how we were going to move into the millennial kingdom. There's nothing more for God to reveal. He gave us everything we needed to know. And so with that being said, you know, unfortunately what's happening today is uh, you have a bunch of people that are adding to what God said mm-hmm. uh, or maybe just as worse, taking from what God actually said. And uh, man, uh, there's a big danger in that. God takes the, his word very, very seriously. And uh, we need to be careful with messing around with his word. But let me just kind of finish this, this particular uh, subject. Uh, uh, again, interpreting the, in, in the, the scripture in light of God's consistency. Uh, I just want to kind of take us a walk through, uh, if you will, uh, some of the Old Testament books. And just, I just want to show you, uh, when we talk about consistency, uh, just how consistent this book really is. Uh, and, uh, and I think we'll uh, be able to uh, uh, wrap up this, this, the, the seventh key with this. So Genesis, the word Genesis means beginnings. Everything uh, is is found in Genesis, the beginning of everything. Uh, Universe, man, woman, family, government, details, uh, sin and death. Uh, The book ends with a man in a coffin in Egypt, which uh, Egypt pictures the world. Uh, And from chapter three to the end of the book, man is a slave to sin. And all this still holds true even today. We are all slaves to sin. Uh, Then you move into Exodus. Uh, The word Exodus means brought out. Uh, God's people were slaves to Egypt, again, which pictures the world. Uh, They were held captive by Pharaoh, who pictures the devil. And day after day, they were under the taskmaster's uh, whip and uh, slaves to Egypt. Uh, Of course, Pharaoh, again, picturing Satan, uh, means that we have have been uh, uh, captive, bondage to sin. Uh, and, and certainly that is true. Uh, but uh, as we see in the book of Exodus, what ends up happening is the, 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 the Israelites are delivered through the blood of the Passover lamb uh, in Exodus 12. And of course, that is uh, Christ who is our Passover. It was a picture uh, showing forth of what Christ uh, would do as he's our Passover. You get to Leviticus. Uh, this book gets its name from Levi, which means joined to, uh, that's interesting, right? And, and to the, the, the purpose of the uh, Exodus was not just to deliver the people from Pharaoh, from, from sin. Their deliverance was to allow them to be joined to a whole new kind of existence in a whole new kind of land. Uh, it's, the, it's the simple idea of God bringing us out to bring us in. God brought Israel out of Egypt to bring them in to the promised land. Uh, and, and so certainly the purpose of our salvation was not to just get us out of bondage, uh, but it was also so that we could get joined to God uh, so that we could be a part of the kingdom of his dear son uh, so that we are in the world, but not of the world. 
numbers gets its name because of two numbers in the book, one in the beginning and one at the end. And what is amazing is that the two numbers reveals is what uh, took place during the 40-year period where there was no growth. Uh, Israel uh, was walking in the wilderness for 40 years. They weren't doing what they were called to do, and, and, and it showed. They're, they're, they were wandering. Uh, a lot of unbelief was taking place. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about the fact that they were murmuring. They were idolaters and, 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 and such, and certainly that applies to us today. Uh, they, they failed to believe God, uh, and, and they failed. Uh, here, here, here's a, a pretty important piece of this. They failed to take God at his word. Uh, God told them what to do, and they said they were going to do it, but they failed to do it. They didn't do uh, what he told them to do. They, 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 they failed to trust uh, God from day to day and not do uh, what God really wanted them to do. And, and they were just wandering around, never fulfilling the purpose. You know, what, what should have only taken them 11 days when they came out of Egypt to get to the promised land ended up taking them 40 years. And uh, certainly, uh, the, that we don't want that to be us. Uh, Deuteronomy means second law. Uh, God gave the law the first time in Exodus. Uh, basically, obey me because I am God and because I said uh, is, is, is uh, what you need to do. And, and many times when you go back to Exodus, you see where, where it says and, uh, you know, things that God said that we were to do. Um, it's obviously connected to the duty of man. Uh, what uh, what what man needs to do to please God, uh, but when God gives law the second time uh, here in Deuteronomy, uh, it's connected to love. And for the first time, God talks about His love for His people and His desire for His people to love Him. He wants us to obey Him, but not out of obligation, duty, or fear, or consequence, but to fulfill the law of love. The first five books uh, of of uh, of the Bible uh, were written by Moses. And, uh, and they're called, uh, if you will, the book of the law. And as good as the man was and as hard as he tried to get God's people uh, uh, into the land of promise, you know, and I'm talking about Moses, as good as he was and, and, and how he, he tried to do everything he could to, to get his people uh, that, that were following him to get into the land of promise, he wasn't able to do it. Uh, you know, and by the way, Moses didn't even go into the land of promise because the people just finally got to him. And uh, he, he also didn't do something that God told him to do. Uh, and that's that striking the rock uh, the second time when he was told he shouldn't strike it. Uh, so, okay, uh, that leads us to the book of Joshua. Now, just again, we're trying to show the consistency of this book, uh, the Bible. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. Um, you know, if you go to the book of Acts uh, 745, it talks about uh, Jesus. Uh, well, Jesus, so everyone knows, the Hebrew word for Jesus is Joshua. Uh, by the way, that book of Joshua, uh, you, you, you take a look at the, the book of Revelation and you compare it to what's taking place in that conquest of the land in Joshua, and you're going to see a lot of similarities. Uh, obviously, Jesus is going to resurp the world in seven years, and, and Joshua uh, re, re, you know, took the land of Canaan in seven years. So the law uh, was a good thing, but it can never bring you into the life that God intended for us. And only Joshua was able to do that. Uh, the book is all about leading God's people into battle with a sword. Of course, that sword is the word of God for us. Bringing the people into the land that God promised them, defeating the enemies in the land. Of course, that would be the world and the devil. And it's only through Jesus we get our full inheritance through Christ. Um, that leads us to Judges. 
Of course, we find out in Judges there's no king in Israel. Every man's doing that which is right in their own eyes. And when we refuse to allow the king to rule in us, this is what's, what happens. God blesses. They get complacent, which leads them into sin, which God, causes God to chasten them. They repent, and the vicious cycle goes on and on and on. Uh, and I would just, I would argue that this is the issue in 21st century Christianity. Uh, we, we, the, the, we just continue this crazy cycle, if you will. Of course, that leads us to Ruth. We talked about Ruth, I think, last time. Uh, Ruth is a Gentile from a cursed race, separated from God and uh, his promises, and lives in time of famine. Uh, but one day, she hears good news that God visited his people in Bethlehem, gave them bread, and she turns from everything she has to go and partake of it, goes to work in a field, which represents the world, uh, and there she meets a man uh, her kinsman redeemer, uh, of course, Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He falls in love with her, takes her out of the field, and makes us her, uh, or makes us his bride. Uh, certainly, we see the pictures there. First and Second Samuel, Israel allows the wrong king to be crowned, Saul, but then he is revealed for who he is, and God's choice comes to the throne. David, again, going back to establishing the theme of the offer, the author. We need to make sure we have the right king on the throne and not the wrong king. Amen. First, uh, uh, Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, God covers the same ground twice. Uh, every word of God is pure, so why cover it twice? Uh, th- these 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 books cover the downward spiral of Israel morally and the spiritually uh, the spirituality that leads to the destruction of the temple and the nation of Israel going into captivity. Uh, and of course, in history, this happened twice, uh, and and through Nebuchadnezzar and Titus, uh, Nebuchadnezzar being uh, six twenty. Uh, 6 BC when he took over Babylon and then when Titus took over Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, again, consistency. God, God's not putting any of this in his book for, for any other reason than, and if you pay a, have paid attention so far, all these things that we've talked about, God is going to do again. It's consistent. <laughs> the reason why all these things are important is because they're going to happen again. Uh, and, and we could keep going and I could keep going with all the books, but in the old Testament, but here's the thing I want to end with, and we'll move on to the next principle, but God is very consistent. Every book is pointing to future things that are going to happen. You want to know where you're going? (laughs) Just see where you've been. God is very consistent and it's, it's such a beautiful, uh, 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 picture to see once you see it. Uh, and, 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 man, it helps us understand uh, how to properly study our book and, 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 and understand it. But, okay, we're done with that one. Let's, let's move on to God teaches by association. God teaches by association. One of, this is probably one of my favorite ones uh, just because of Hosea 12.10 and, and the similitudes, and I'm sure Pastor Robert's going to get into that. So, Robert, go ahead, man. Tell us a little bit about God teaches about association. Yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and read that right now since you just mentioned it. Um, that'll lead us into this key. Because uh, as we've said, every key we're talking about, God, and hopefully you're catching that we're, we're given verses for these because they're what the Lord has given us uh, in his word. But Hosea 12, uh, 12, verse 10, he says, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. And, and so right there we see that um, th- that, that word similitude, um, you know, God is... is um, painting pictures for us he he is he is um using associations in his word uh, or excuse me in, in um in the world as we're going to see in a minute to um relate to us biblical truth and so this key of allowing god to teach you 
by association um, comes primarily out of Romans chapter 1, uh, where uh, verse 20, where we see that uh, the, it's the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world uh, that are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. And, and essentially, God uses His physical creation to teach us spiritual truth. Um, he is purposely... God does nothing by mistake or by accident. He, he has purposely and intentionally created the things that we see in the physical world to teach us about Him. And if we will just slow down enough uh, to take counsel of these things and to open our eyes, I, I think we'd be amazed at some of the things that we would see, uh, because the pattern that God used to create the physical world was none other than Himself. Mm. Um, in fact, we excuse me, God says that uh, we can understand His, uh, Romans chapter 1 there in verse 20, that we can understand His eternal power and the Godhead by what we see in creation. Ooh. And uh, and man, you know, that the, the doctrine of uh, the Trinity, um, the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, um, can be hard to understand for some. And so what God does, as any good teacher does, is He teaches through creation or through pictures, and again, similitudes. And, um, you know, when we kind of break it down, uh, because God is a trinity, um, it's very interesting to note that uh, a lot of the things that we see in the physical uh, creation around us will always break down into a system of threes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, it's beyond the, the scope of this podcast to get into extreme detail, but just to throw a few things at you as food for thought and, and hopefully... Um, you'll you'll be able to catch where we're going here. You know, you look at man, and you see that man is made of um, a body, a soul, and a spirit. Um, You look at... 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, How do we measure time? Um, Past, present, and future. Mm -hmm. Um, The very building blocks of of matter, uh, atoms, being uh, protons, neutrons, and electrons. Um, Primary colors, there are three of them, red, yellow, and blue, and on and on uh, we could go. And that is by no mistake. Um, That is not by accident, Uh, because I want to direct your attention, if I could, to Psalm chapter 19, Uh, the first three verses there. God just tells us, listen, y'all, my creation is speaking. Uh, That's what it's doing. Listen to just these few verses here in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Mm. Creation has a voice. Mm -hmm. And God is saying, listen, my creation is the universal language. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and then there in verse 4, I'll add this one. This is pretty cool. It says, their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Mm. Um, their words. Mm-hmm. And, and that word line there, uh, it means talk or speech. Yep. I, mean, I mean, have you ever heard someone say, um, you know, they've got a line for everything? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or, hey, drop me a line sometime. You know, we, we use that terminology. And, and again, you know, God uh, reiterates this over in Job chapter 12, mm-hmm. uh, in verses 7 through 9. He says, Ask now the beast, and they shall teach thee. Mm. And he says, uh, The fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee mm-hmm. 
and speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee. The fish of the sea shall declare unto thee. And it's just an amazing thing um, what God does. And just just a couple quick examples, and I'll throw it to you guys, because um, you guys can, might be able to shed some more light on this, but you know, just thinking about the the heavens and um you know you look at the sun and the sky and and, and the moon and mm-hmm. and you just start to look at the patterns and and kind of the um behavior of, of what we have in that and and we see you know that the the, the moon is um is a dead rock essentially yep. Yep. Uh, in the sky and um god very clearly in his word um likens the moon to what the church. There it is. Yes, that's exactly right. He does. And we, dead in our sins, um, are to, as the moon does, reflect the light of the sun. And, um, you know, the sun having um, three kinds of rays, x-rays and, and um, light rays and heat rays, um, and just how how we can, uh, we know that x-rays are, are invisible and uh, light rays are seen and not felt, but heat rays are felt and not seen. And you know, all think about the Trinity. the Trinity. Yes, sure. sir. Yeah, the Father, and and, and who is invisible, and then got uh, God is Spirit. The Bible says, and uh, light rays. Um, how uh, Christ is is um, the the, the light of the world. Amen. Um, amen. Yeah, and, and so we just see these things going on. And it's like, man. Sun rules the day. Amen. And, and Think about that. The day of the Lord. The sun rules the day and the moon it. rules the night. We're living in biblical darkness because the light has gone out of the world. And what happens when when the moon gets in the way of the sun? Mm. Blocking oh, the, the light earth. of the sun. The excuse earth. me. Excuse me. Thank you. The earth. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. An eclipse. And yeah. you just you start looking at those those pictures. And, and, and when you see the... Um, on those rare occasions when you see the um, the sun and the moon and the sky at the same time, mm. picturing the millennial reign of Christ, mm. you know, with him and the church, mm-hmm. and it's just yeah. a beautiful, no beautiful doubt. thing no doubt. that he does. Um, and so, and then you think about the family, um, how how um, husbands are 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 called to loves their love their wives as Christ loved the church. And, and there's a key word there um, that that. God uses to teach us. Two, two critical words in the Bible are yeah. like and as. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Similitudes. Good. Yeah. Good. Yep. And and he's painting a picture. How are we to know the love of Christ? Well, as husbands, we are to be pictures of that for our wives. And um like like Christ loved the church, that's we it. love our wives. That's it. Yeah. And, and and God calls wives um to submission to their husbands mm. as unto the Lord. As unto, unto the, the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And, and so he's just throwing out these, these every word is pure. These simple two-letter word, a simple four-letter word that he's just using to scream um truth to us. And if we're just speed reading through our Bibles, trying to get it all in. Um, before we go off to work or get it all in, in a year, and, and there's nothing wrong with reading our Bibles through in a year, but um, if we're just trying to just get through it, we're going to miss some of these things that he's pointing out in his word. And um, it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's what we got. I mean, we could park on this all day with when oh, it comes sure. to similitudes and types and pictures and all that kind of stuff, you know, as he's going through it, you know, you just think about things like the sun. He was talking about the sun. Well, you know, God pictures his gospel in his creation as well through that. You know, the, the, the setting of the sun is a picture of his death, and it goes under the earth, right? And it's, uh, that's the picture of the burial, and it rises the next day. That's a picture of the resurrection. I mean, there's, there's picture after picture after picture. And, you know, uh, I think of the tabernacle. 
you know, Ooh. God's, you know, today the church, we as believers are supposed to be the tabernacle for the Holy Ghost, but the tabernacle was a picture. When Moses was on Sinai and, and God was giving the Ten Commands, he's also giving him the blueprints for that tabernacle. Well, yeah. what was the point of that? You know, it was because that's what God wanted to use as a place to uh, dwell with his people. And, you know, in the book of Hebrews, it drives the point home that that tabernacle, it says in, in Hebrews 8, 5, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. Mm. You know, it was a picture of the heavenly things, you know. Mm. So, so like, there's, a, there's, a, there's a temple mm-hmm. in, in heaven. heaven. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's the thing we need to understand about it, that everything that God uses in his creation, he, he pictures in his creation is a picture of, of, of something in heaven. It's a heavenly, you know, to, pick, to point to him. So, you know, I guess it, it really won't, shouldn't look at the, the, the natural world the same way again when you start to think about how he's using it to picture everything that is uh, going on in heaven. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. God is a master painter, uh, picture painter. You know, what I love about that is, is that, you know, the reason why, if we, if we wanted to try to tag a reason why God does that, uh, I think, Robert, you, you definitely hit, uh, hit it there when, when you said that, uh, you know, there's just things that we can't understand, uh, but we certainly can understand the world around us, and we certainly can understand uh, those things because we can see them. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about things that we can't see. Uh, you know, you, you can't see God. Uh, you can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't see the the, uh, the 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 spiritual realm, um, and because you can't see it, uh, God uses the physical realm uh, to teach us of those things. And by the way, uh, that's what's going to hold us all accountable. <laughs> you know, uh, it, I do think it's interesting when you read that Psalm 19 passage uh, it, when he's talking about how the heavens declare the day uh, utters speech, uh, the night shows knowledge. Uh, you know, uh, the line, as you said, goes out. There are words. Why? Because God's going to use creation to be your judge if you don't know your word. Mm. God's yeah. righteous. That's right. He, he, the, the, the same thing's coming down here. People are still going to be judged righteously through this word. And people are going to go, well, what if I don't know it? How can he judge me against it? <laughs> this is how he's going to judge you against it. Just look around. Yeah. Can I read a verse about that? Yeah, go for it. I think you quoted it earlier, or part we're talking about earlier, Robert, as Romans one twenty, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So because we we know of Him because of all of that, and, and then He says, even His eternal God, power and Godhead, which you read, but the end of that verse says, so that they are without excuse. Man is held without excuse to understanding the God that created them and gave them life because he testifies of himself through all of his creation. Yeah. Yeah, that's the important. You said we're going to be judged by that. That's, I mean, he, we're held without excuse because of that. Yeah. So this, this idea of God teaching by association is, is uh, you know, here at One Baptist Church, I mean, the, the, for me as, as, as the pastor of this church, uh, what I've learned is, is simply this, man. Every doctrinal truth that is declared in the Word of God, there is a picture of it over and over and over again. Right. Uh, it's just the truth of the matter. Uh, and man, uh, you know, God's love, mm. right? God's love. Well, there's a picture of it, right? Uh, uh, Genesis 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a picture where God's pointing towards what's going to happen on, uh, the, you know, the offering of Isaac. I, Isaac is just a picture of what Jesus was going to do 2,000 years later. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing. All right, so I think we did good on Keynote Rate, allowing God to teach you by association. You guys got anything else you want to throw in here real quick before we move on to the next one? That's good. Yep. Okay. All right. So let's uh, talk about um, key number nine. 
uh, approaching the Bible uh, as if there are no contradictions uh, and that there are only apparent contradictions. Chris, I think you're going to take us on this one, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'll try to keep it as short as I possibly can here, but this is a big one, you know, because this is one of the main reasons that people will reject Christianity is because many people don't even have a clue. They're just, when they think about what they're saying, they're saying something that somebody else had just told them or taught them, you know. They, I know they, I well, did that. Yeah, we're all guilty of that one. Uh, there are things that are in the Word of God that, that, that will appear to be contradictions, but uh, you need to have faith that God is God and He does not make any mistakes. So it's about how you perceive it. It's about how we, we come to the Word of God. Are we going to come to it with our presuppositions? I think we talked about in an early, earlier podcast about the, the, the dangers of presuppositions is that, like I just said, you know, people will tell somebody something, they'll hear something or read something somewhere, and they'll just, uh, that's how they develop their thinking on it. And so, well, you know, the, the Bible contradicts itself, you know, well, did you ever even go into it and actually look that thing up to find out if it was so? You know, we have these presuppositions, and, th- and that, that turns a lot of people away. They say, well, the, the Bible just contradicts itself all over the place. And uh, w- how you come to the bu- this book that we call the Bible, the Word of God, is going to determine a- everything. It's really... Are you coming to it as it is the Word of God or just something, just another book or based on something that you heard? Always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt or give God the benefit of the doubt. Operate within the Word of God with the conviction that the Bible is innocent until proven guilty instead of the other way around. We like to do that. Well, it's just, it's false. This, uh, that can't be true. It's guilty before proven innocent. We, we just come to it with that wrong mindset. You've got to treat God with the same respect as, as a criminal in court, innocent until proven guilty. Same respect we want. Yeah, exactly. But here's the other thing is that when it comes to somebody preaching the word of God, you've got to come to it with the other the other mindset, it, guilty until proven innocent. In other words, don't take just what people say or even from what the preacher is saying as gospel truth, because that's where you get into trouble. You'll start to th- this, develop this thinking that the Word of God contradicts itself because you're just going off of what somebody well, said. My, well, my pastor said. Yeah, what my, my pastor said, it has to be true. Well, that doesn't, <laughs> it's not necessarily so. You have to approach it from the opposite perspective. When man's teaching or preaching, it's guilty until proven innocent. You go to the Word of God and check and see if that thing is true. But when it comes to God, you give Him the benefit of the doubt. He is innocent is until proven guilty, which you'll never prove him guilty. No. God is the one you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know, I think this this looks like a contradiction. Well, what, what really is going on here? And come to it with a, a neutrality that, God, I want you to show me instead of going off of what you heard or what you think. Right? Your aptitude in the Word of God is directly commensurate with your attitude towards the Word of God. Ooh. In other words, your ability to go to this book and learn it correctly. Mm. It's not about your intelligence. It, it's If your approach is believing in it and trust the Spirit, you will learn it. Twelve fishermen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I like this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 13, when Paul is talking to the Thessalonians, he said to him, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Are we approaching this book as it is in truth, the word of God? Or are we coming to it with our own presuppositions, looking for an, an, an error? Because if you're looking for a contradiction, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. How about we just come to it and say, you know what, God? Show me. You know, if we have the right attitude towards it, you'll be amazed at what and God so will Chris, show when you. you. Come, when you come to something that seems like an apparent contradiction, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, maybe you're going to get there, but if you come to something like that, what, 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 uh, what, what should we do? Well, what have we been talking about? You've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. 
you've got to find out did God talk about this thing so, somewhere so else? So why do you, in his why word? do you think God does that? Why do you think God in his book he he it almost looks like well wait a minute well that's a contradiction. Why do you think God puts those things in his book? So we'll look deeper. For what? He's, he's trying to teach us, trying to teach us ah, something. Exactly. Those are times where we got to stop and go God obviously here? wants us to pay attention to this. Something's going on. Uh, and I'll tell you, some of the greatest truths of God's words that I've ever found is in apparent contradiction. Sure. You <laughs> learn some of the greatest things oh, there. Oh, man. If you, cause it, 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 God's pointing that out to you, making it obvious, so you will dig deeper. He's using it to get your attention yeah, amen, so he amen. can reveal it to a more deeper, profound spiritual truth. Sure. Right, so that's coming to. So the first thing is that we have to identify the fact that well, we just need to come to it with the right mindset. What's really going on here? And I want to tease your brains here a little bit. So I'm going to give you this example. I'll try to get through it as quickly as I possibly can. But it's going to be a, a mathematical example, just to show how precise God really is when he when he wants you to to see something. So in First Kings chapter six and verse one, the, the verse reads, "And it came to pass in the four hundred and eightieth year." After the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the Mount of Ziph, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So we find here what, what uh, Solomon's going to build the house of the Lord, and it's in the 480th year, it says. Now, when you do... 480th year after they came after out of... they came so out of four, four, Egypt. So, so, so everyone's listening understands this is 480 years after they came out of uh, the Exodus in yep. Egypt. Uh, okay. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Mm-hmm. Right. So keep that in mind because when you go to uh, Acts chapter 13, mm-hmm. Paul gives this whole dissertation kind of taking through that whole entire period of time mm-hmm. from the Exodus to King David. And he actually breaks it down and gives the math on how long these that's things how, so took So that's place. how we know how long the, the kingship of Saul and the kingship of David was and Solomon, it tells us. Right. Mm-hmm. So, But here's the thing now, and people will stick on these kinds of things. They really will. They'll say, okay, it was a 480th year. But then when you go to Acts and you break down from chapter 13 to verses 16 through 22, mm-hmm. you read through it. And I'm not going to do that for time's sake. I, I just did, I, I ask for all of our listeners to go and dig in there and look at this. Uh, he, he breaks down this whole entire period of time. In verse 18 in, in Acts 13 is Israel and, and the wilderness after the exodus, which is a, he says is a period of 40 years. In verses 19 through 20 from the wilderness to Samuel during the time of the judges was a period of 450 years. In verse 21, after the judges and Saul was king for a period of another 40 years, and then in, in verse 22, he talks up, it leaves us with David. And when you go to 1 Kings 2.11, we know that David uh, was in power for 40 years. So when you add all of these up with, with Paul's timeline in Acts chapter 13, you come to 573 years. Well, mm-hmm. wait a second. Mm-hmm. Back at 1 Kings 6.1, mm-hmm. sa- it says 480 years. Mm-hmm. So wait a second. It, was Paul wrong? Contradiction. His, yeah, there's a contradiction here, right? God's wrong. Again, come to it like, okay, what are you trying to show me here, mm-hmm. God, instead mm-hmm. of, well, there's a contradiction. Well, there's a discrepancy of these 93 years. But we have to take into note, again, in Acts 13, when Paul is bringing us through that timeline, he covers the timeline of Judges, which... Uh, took 450 years, and that's where your quote-unquote discrepancy takes place. It's during the time of the book of the Judges, over that period of 450 years, what happens is, and you go to the book of Judges, and you read through the book of Judges, Mm -hmm. and all chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that they were in captivity for eight years. So what happened is the book of the Judges, the the nation of Israel had no king, as uh, Frank had mentioned earlier, and they were in these cycles of sin and uh, crying out to God, then he cried out to God, he'd give them a judge, and then he'd deliver them, and then they'd go into captivity. Every time they would go against God into captivity, he would uh, send somebody to conquer them. They would be captive to another nation. 
And so, which they went, by the way is a very important principle. Oh, sure. To understand that when uh, another nation has usurped Israel, mm-hmm. God's not counting. He's not time. counting time. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Wonder what, I wonder what's going on right now. Yeah. So numbers mean things with God. Yeah. So. Uh, if you're still following along with me here, uh, you go through Judges now, and in chapter 3 and verse 8, it says they were in captivity for eight years. In chapter 3, verse 14, it says they were in captivity for another 18. In chapter 4 and verse 3, they were in captivity for another 20. In 6, 1, they were captive for seven years. And in Judges 13, 1 for 40 years. Now you add all that up, what do you get? You get 93. 93 There's your answer to that little discrepancy, which looks like a contradiction, but it's not. The 93 years is made up from the captivity, like uh, Pastor just said. God doesn't count time when the nation of Israel is in in captivity. There's your 93 years, so the math works out every time. He's very concise. And and that's a very important understanding because when Israel's not in the land, as we said, uh, God isn't counting time. And by by the way, he does this uh, by by my understanding, uh, and I'm sure there's probably more, uh, but there's four times in the Old Testament where God shows us uh, this 480 years as a uh, 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 important distinction uh, to um, uh, uh, how God uh, uh, works, if you will. Uh, and, and there's a, there's a lot of examples, uh, of when, you know, for example, when Ishmael is the firstborn, God stops counting time from Abraham to the, to the temple. Uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, but, but as soon as Isaac is born, God starts time again. It, very, very important distinction to understand that. And by the way, that will help you understand why the Daniel the, the difference between why Daniel's 70 week 70 week prophecy 490 years by the way 483 have been completed and God stopped time for some right. reason why was the reason well because Israel rejected Messiah and now we're in that parenthetical that we've been talking about yep. where God's not counting time but one day he's going to take his church out Hit the time clock, and if I just hit the bo- the thing here, if you heard that, and when he hits that time clock, God's starting time again. Yeah, man, what a what a, what a great we learned that from what we thought was a contradiction. Sure, yeah. When it wasn't a contradiction, God's trying to teach us that's something. Right. We dug in there, and now we found out, and and boom, we found out that's not a contradiction at all. Mm. God just doesn't count time when there's a usurper of His land. Very important. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's what we think we know about the Bible that keeps us from learning. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's the assumptions or the presuppositions and the uh, unwillingness to labor in the Word to to compare Scripture and to just to see what God is doing there that prevents us from seeing some of these greatest things that He has to show us. Yeah, absolutely. You know? All right. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to guys want to uh, add there to the ninth one? Um, so I, I think it, it, just to wrap it up, uh, that ninth one, it's, it's pretty simple to say this. There are no contradictions in the mm-hmm. Bible. There's only apparent ones. Let God, uh, listen, uh, I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm some great guru on the Bible, uh, but I will say this. Uh, I promise you every single contradiction that I've ever run into the Bible, it, I've always found the answer to it. Um, oh, that's not really a contradiction. It just, just, just. Uh, you know, those are times where you just stop, man. You pray to God uh, for the answer, and you let God reveal to to you in His time, uh, and you just start re- comparing Scripture with Scripture. Start utilizing some of these keys of Bible study, and before you know it, you got the answer. 
All right, let's move on and finish up here with the 10th key uh, Bible study. Uh, and uh, basically, this one's an easy one, man. But as easy as it is, <laughs> I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure in these last days a lot of people are doing it. Uh, it it's simply this. Approach the Bible from a literal standpoint. Uh, the Bible means what it says, and it says what it means. Um, you know, we can agree. Uh, we cannot agree what it means, uh, and a lot of times we don't. But we can certainly agree on what it says. What does it say? Um, you know, recognize that at times God makes it perfectly clear when he's using figurative speech, parables, or allegories. If we can do that, uh, we can really uh, change our whole understanding uh, of how we should approach this book. Um, the Bible is not a difficult book to understand. Uh, what, what, what makes it difficult is not believing what it says. Um, you know, 2 Corinthians 11, 3, uh, 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 Paul says this, But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds shall be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, listen, God is uh, and has done a masterful job of keeping his book simple. The devil has done a masterful job of making it complicated, trying to intimidate us. You know, one of the things that just blows my mind is how many people, how many pastors, unfortunately, uh, who are just afraid of the book of Revelation. Uh, they won't go to it. Uh, it terrifies them. Listen, if you're a Christian, you aren't going to be here during the book of Revelation. There's nothing, there's no reason to be terrified of it. But because you know what the terror of the Lord is, you should be out there warning other people from what's coming. These books are so important to understand in their literal standpoint because this stuff is really going to happen. God, God, what God says is really going to happen. And, um, you know, one of the key thoughts, I think, uh, is this. Before trying to determine what any passage means, make sure we have a clear, we clearly understand what it says. What does it say? Uh, and again, uh, it, it really is an important thing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, what has happened here, okay, is, uh, uh, you know, in that early church, uh, I, I think, uh, and especially the Jews from the Old Testament, uh, listen, they took the Bible literally. They knew a Messiah was coming. They didn't allegorize that. They didn't spiritualize that. That Old Testament was all literal. The Jews took it literally, well, by the way, because the kingdom of heaven is a physical thing. They didn't spiritualize any of this stuff. They, they knew that they were going to be taken out of their land. They knew that they were going to be judged for it. And they knew that the one that was going to deliver them from that was their Messiah. What they didn't know and what they failed to understand because they didn't take the Bible literally is that the Messiah, when he came, was going to come to do two things. He wasn't just going to come to deliver them from the bondage of Rome, he was going to come to deliver them from the bondage of their sins, yeah. uh, which is that whole spiritual realm that we're in now. But, but again, if they would have just taken it literally, they would have known that when Messiah came, uh, Isaiah 53, mm -hmm. uh, Psalm 22, uh, even Genesis 22, uh, you know, they would have known that, that, that Messiah was going to need to be uh, uh, crucified uh, before uh, he was going to be the reigning king. Uh, and, and again, it was just a failure of, of, of taking the Bible literally and understanding what those scriptures said. And, and, and here's the deal. 
there's a guy by the name of Origin yeah. who really probably got us all on the wrong path. Um, and, and, and what he did is, you know, he had a system of thought that he believed in, and he then changed the Bible, if you will, to fit his system of thought. Man, I wonder how many people do that today. I just wonder. Uh, but really what he did is he, he turned the Bible into, here's the big word, to allegorizations. Uh, what he said is there was up to five different ways you could understand Scripture, and he had all these different uh, methods that he employed. Uh, that, uh, but none of those methods ever were just simple of, well, the Bible means what it says and says what it means. You know, so, so at that point, as this allegory uh, uh, enters into the picture, uh, what now what happens is uh, we, we can basically make the Bible say anything we want it to say. And, and when you do that, trouble comes. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that's what's happening in a lot of pulpits today, man. I think you get these pastors up there, man. They'll, 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 they'll read a couple verses out of the Bible, and then for the next 20 or 25 minutes, they'll give you a story. And that really had nothing to do with the passage you just read. And by the way, you didn't even read the passage in context. And so now what you're telling us is your thoughts on the matter, and you're not giving us God's thoughts on the matter. <laughs> When at the end of the day, what will transform us? God's thoughts. God's thoughts. So this is an important one. Taking the Bible from a literal standpoint, uh, we cannot overemphasize uh, how important that is. Robert, you got anything you want to add there? You know, even though the Bible doesn't contradict itself, and that kind of relates to the last key we're talking about there as far as um, God's consistency, um, even though it doesn't contradict itself, it does often present truth that is contrary to our natural inclinations and we and and there's nothing wrong with that but we have to be aware of that um when so we can take the bible from a literal standpoint just because it doesn't make sense to my mind doesn't mean it's a contradiction um you know god says that the way up is down in james chapter 4 and verse 10 he says that uh, to live we must die in john 12:24 he says that it is better to give than to receive in Acts 20, 35. And he says that to receive, we must give in Luke 6, 38. So just knowing that will, will definitely serve us well as far as approaching the Bible from a literal standpoint. Chris? Yeah. What God does is he turns it all upside down, what our thinking. It's not that he's the one that's, that's contradicting himself or, or anything. It's just it's us. We're, the con we're contradictory to him. So, you know, to take his word for what it said, I mean, just think about it. If, if we just did that today, if we just picked up the Bible and read what it said and just did what it said and took it for what it said, how, how vastly different would the church look today? Sure. I mean, we try to come to it and, and give our own interpretation of it. We try to come to it and, um, you know, it must be contradictory, or we try to come to it with, with an allegorization or spiritualizing a, a truth that he's trying to, you know, that's when it gets all mucked up is when we put ourselves into it instead Bring of taking ourselves on him. the throne. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, that's what we become we're really the authority. Doing. We become the authority. God is not God anymore. It's it, we're God, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that was a lie of Satan from the beginning. You'll Genesis, be like God. Genesis three. You know, that's We have to remember that, you know, we just, if this is what it says, then that's it. I mean, every, every word of God on purpose for a purpose. I mean, mm -hmm. if that's what it says, he, he's, he, that's what it is. Yeah. All right, let me, uh, let's uh, wrap this up here. I got a one other thing I want to say uh, about this uh, particular subject of taking the Bible from a literal standpoint. Um, you know, you have to understand there are exceptions to that. Um, you know, God does use uh, figures of speech in the Bible, but he's very clear when he does that. 
God does use parables. Uh, a parable is an earthly story uh, that has a, uh, a heavenly meaning. But God's very clear when he does, when, he, when, when he's speaking. And by the way, when God speaks in parables or when Jesus speaks in parables, he doesn't use names. So if there's a name brought into it, it's not a parable. Um, he, he, a parable teaches of a heavenly story. Uh, God certainly uses symbolism in the Bible, but I'll tell you this. Uh, the truth is, is that there's not as much symbolism in the Bible as people think, especially in the book of Revelation. <laughs> uh, you know, we named this podcast af- uh, after the revealing because uh, the Lord put it in my heart uh, a few years ago to write a book uh, called The Revealing, which uh, which takes a verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation, which uh, you can go to our website and, and pick one up if you'd like. Uh, and, and But, uh, you know, uh, listen, God uses symbolism, but it's not as much as you think. And, and, and at the end of the day, whenever God uses symbolism, it's very easily easy to understand by using the simplicity of the Bible study uh, that we're employing right now. God always explains what that symbolism means. We talked about it last time. Leviathan. That, it's a symbol of something. The seven-headed dragon. Is he really going to come up out of the sea? No. It's a symbol of, uh, and it shows you forth Satan. And by the way, those, those seven heads symbolize his seven kingdoms by which he's going to rule the world through, uh, uh, even even to, 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 to today. Uh, so, But that's another time, another story. And then finally, uh, we need to understand God uses metaphors. Uh, you know, when you take a literal thing and a figurative thing and meld them together to make a particular point, God does that. Um, and, but, but here's the thing. Whenever God employs those different exceptions, figures of speech, parables, symbolism, uh, metaphors, God's very clear on yeah. it. And you, 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 you don't miss it. Listen, if, I, if I'm talking to you and I say, hey, Robert, man, you're cool. Like, that's a... God gets, or God, Robert gets what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like he understands. Like, like we do, we do that today. We use these same things today. But how come when we're doing it today, we have no problem getting it, but we have a problem when God gets it. God does it. Like, no, man, just use, just be, be normal. Read what it says, and God will reveal what He's trying to say. All right. Anyways, I think we, I think we did a good job on those. Um, and again, these are not exhaustive Mm-mm. studies on uh, on each one of these. Uh, but I think I think if you've if you've taken the time to listen to these uh, these last three podcasts, I think we did a pretty good job of at least uh, 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 representing them, uh, showing them for what they're worth, and uh, hopefully uh, you uh, can learn from them. Again, if you have any questions, uh, anything like that, anything you would like to discuss with us, you can reach us at info at onebaptistjacks.world. Uh, send us an email, and we will get uh, back to you. Uh, next time, uh, we're going to start a two, uh, two-part series on, uh, uh, as we get ready for Christmas, uh, we're going to start, we're going to look at the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, why, why, why the virgin birth? Why did Jesus have to come to this earth, uh, and, and why could there not be a earthly father? And then, of course, that'll lead us into a second part where we're going to talk about what the incarnation, what what that virgin birth really entailed. And uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll have a good study there. All right. Well, y'all have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. 
For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.